Hi, this is David Sanborn, and welcome to As We Speak. This episode, I sit down with guitarist, composer, and force of nature, Pat Matheny. We speak about his latest solo record, Dreambox, as well as his history, influences, and creative process. This new record is great. I mean, I absolutely love it. It's so beautiful. I mean, uh, the, the genesis of this, I guess, was just downtime on the road, right? I mean, isn't that how it kind of came about? It's such an unusual one for me on so many different levels. You know, it actually kind of, in a lot of ways, traces back to our mutual friend, Charlie Hayden. Oh, yeah. Who um, always wanted tunes. He was always like, you got some tunes for me. You got some... And I would send him lead sheets and then he would, you know, call me and say, can you just make a recording of it? Because with the lead <laughs> sheet, I really, I don't know what it's really going to be. So that kind of started me making a kind of just a regular thing. Whenever I would write a tune, I would do a quick demo of it. If there was something to improvise over, I would do that. And I didn't really worry about it. Um, I did it in, you know, enough uh, of a sort of pro way where I was doing it, you know, at a high digital resolution and just the nature of doing quick demos like that. The easiest way for me to do that is to just play the chords and then on another track, play the melody or, and then improvise or whatever. So, right. I mean, I probably have a hundred things like that that our tunes and demos are trying a new sound with a new old guitar or something like that. Mm -hmm. And basically I would do things. I would make the lead sheet for myself, which I would keep in a pile of like, if I need tunes, and then I would put these demos in this file that I had for literally said stuff. And <laughs> in that folder were just dozens and dozens of things. I never, ever listened to. And uh, I was on the road. Um, this was kind of a couple of years ago after the COVID thing. And I was like, well, maybe I should check out what's in there. And so I just kind of started going through it. And honestly, most of it was, as you would expect, you know, kind of rough and, and uh, you know, useful to maybe hear what a tune might be. But there were... 10 or 12 things that I was like, God, this almost sounds done. Not only that, I don't even remember doing this. <laughs> so, um, you know, for me, there's a funny thing, which is if I'm compelled to listen to something more than once, and especially a few times, that's kind of a signal to me of something. And it's actually pretty rare that something like this would ever come up because, you know, mostly it's in the studio where, you know, if you're making a record where you're really working on making a record. So this was so odd in the sense that, you know, I finally wound up with these nine things that I just kind of wanted to listen to, you know, kind of mm. over and over again. And then I thought, well, man, maybe somebody else might want to hear this too. So mm -hmm. that became the thing. However, there's a big asterisk on this, which is, you know, I wasn't paying attention to the levels or to anything. Um, you know, it, so it was kind of a it was kind of a challenge on a tech level. And fortunately, I've got a great guy, Pete Carroll, who 
sort of helped me figure out how to make it work as a thing. But I also didn't want to change anything about what I played um, because that was sort of part of it is that it was these one-time things. So it took a little doing to kind of make the levels work and to do some tech stuff to, you know, denoise this one and that one and, and all that. But mm -hmm. finally it ended up being a record, but, but yeah, it's completely unlike anything I have ever done and probably will ever do again. Well, if there's a real lack of self-consciousness about it, it feels like so intimate in that, like, it's almost like you're daydreaming, you know? And I, I just find that, uh, there, I, I love demos that people do. When I, I, you know, occasionally you'll hear the, like the demo of Blackbird, of Paul McCartney singing Blackbird, or, yeah. you know, John Lennon doing something, or... You know, and there's just this lack of self-consciousness and there's this flow and it's it's just so beautiful. There's, there's such an innocence about it. And when when I heard that, that's what it struck me as. Like when you did I Fall in Love Too Easily. I mean, just the way you did it and the pace. And it's like, I just got pulled into this. Med it was like a meditation. And I, I find that, incredibly attractive and i you know when you explained it to me it's like well i was doing this i wasn't really thinking about it in the sense of like okay this is a record and maybe that's what certainly to me makes it so beautiful and you know the you know that when you brought up charlie you know I, I, one of the connections that i made immediately was the album that you know the album that i remember that you did with him beyond the missouri sky and there was a real meditative and i i hesitate to use the word cinematic because it's really not accurate it doesn't really reflect my feeling about it but there was a sense of this is an album that was perfectly named like with the words missouri sky it's like okay that tells me everything I need to know, you know, in words about what this record is. And I listened to this record and it was like, like this meditation, this conversation slash meditation. Uh, and I mean, that's a song, that's a, a, a kind of a, a record, uh, music that really appeals to me, you know? So, I mean, I will always been a daydreamer and uh, just to that, that quality just, you know, uh, triggers my kind of creativity. And, you know, I, I just hear so much substance in there. Do you think this, this record relates to some of the other solo projects you've done, like uh, uh, One Quiet Night? What's it all about? I mean, is there a connection? Well, Man, thanks for listening so closely to to all of that stuff. I mean, with, the, with those incredible ears of yours, that's an honor for me to be in your zone. Uh, and and your comments about it are really interesting to me. Um, you know, for me, it's funny because I've been out now. I just got back from doing 50-some cities playing solo every night. And, um, and a 
And a fair chunk of the way I start the program is literally bringing Charlie into the, the mix in terms of his spirit and influence and everything. And that record, uh, the Beyond the Misery Sky record, it is so kind of special for me on a whole bunch of the levels, but mostly because of the, the way it represents the friendship that Charlie and I had with each other. And I mean, as far as our musical association, I mean, you know, we're playing with Billy Higgins for all those years and then with Ornette and Brecker and Abby Lincoln, Josh, you know, we did so many things together, but really all of that was kind of secondary to the incredible friendship we had. I mean, I was best man at his wedding and he was around for all three of my kids getting born and all that. And, um, you know, that, and then the Missouri thing too, um, which all was in there. And, and from my perspective, um, how this record fits with the other solo records, again, having now just performed in that realm for uh, the last two and a half, three months. I mean, it, it, one thing that is notable is that across all of these years, I've kind of regularly made solo records, none of which have anything to do with each other. They're, they're really quite different from each other, with the exception of One Quiet Night. And what's it all about, which are both so purely solo records, meaning it's just me sitting in front of a mic. And in, also in both cases, both are about the baritone guitar thing that I've been doing, which is just weird in itself. The current record, the, the, the Dreambox record, really connects to a track that I did on the first record, Bright Size Life, which was Unity Village which at that time, it was so exotic to me. I mean, I was 19 or 20 or whatever I was to be able to go into a recording studio, put down a track and then overdub yourself on the track. And there's, you know, the tune Unity Village on Bright Size Life was that. And, you know, that was just like, oh my, you know, that's incredible. You can do that, you know? And so this record really... And again, that was on electric guitar. This record is all electric guitar, all a particular kind of electric guitar, which is, you know, arch top guitar with a single pickup. And, um, you know, that's kind of another play on the word box too, which is, you know, mm -hmm. we all know that when you go to a jam session, you might say to me, hey, did you bring your box? You know, which is a <laughs> jazz term for your guitar, right? So it kind of fits yeah. with that too. But it's really about the electric guitar thing and the, the Dreambox record, which I've never really zeroed in on that quite the same way, nor probably would I ever have. Um, that's kind of a thing is that, you know, it's this kind of almost testament to a certain touch thing that I've been working on right from the beginning that is mm -hmm. so like present in all of those tracks that if I were to try to do it, I probably wouldn't do it like that. I'd probably be like, you use the self-conscious thing, which, yeah, I mean, I've mm. always had a, you know, weird relationship with the red light thing in the studio. Like, Oh okay, my God. No, oh. We're making, well, you and I have, have, oh. have, have spent many a night at the old power oh. station at three oh o'clock in, in the morning, like, thinking about whether it should be a B flat or a oh, B natural. What do you mean I can't do it again? 
I can fix this. I know I can. I can make it better. Well, this is this is the exact opposite yep. of that, which, you know, I can kind of do that, too. You know, I mean, I can yeah. I can spend, you know, days on stuff. And, you know, that's when the composition part of it for me is a thing, which yes, is exactly. there's nobody to stop you then. So you can <laughs> sit in a room for, you know, three weeks thinking, should that be a B flat or a B natural? And that part of it is kind of torturous for me um, because especially as the years go by, I'm about 500 tunes in or so now. So, yeah, exactly. and I still like all the same things I used to like. So I have to kind of dig through all of those each time to get to the new stuff, which is kind of why I have a folder like this with dozens and dozens of tunes, mostly ballads, actually, that I'd probably hmm. never think of getting to. Um, and certainly probably wouldn't have played um, until opening up that folder. I have to also say, I'm really, I mean, of course, very pleasantly surprised at the reception that it's getting. Um, once again, because, you know, I'm so used to really you know, considering like so many things when it's time to make a release. And this was almost like, wow, I guess, I guess we could put this out. I mean, people, you know, I like it. I listen to it a lot and maybe somebody yeah. else will like it too. And it, it turns out it's, you know, it's, it, it, people are responding to it in, in ways like what the way you, you are, that it's incredibly gratifying yeah. for me. But I also acknowledge yeah. if I tried to do that, I don't think I could. Yeah, I, and I, I think also, I, I don't know if this is the case for you, but wrestling with the idea of of the relevance of something, and I don't mean in the social context of whether this will mean something to anybody, but whether it's relevant in terms of my journey, my my uh, process, and is this is is this an honest reflection of something in me that I hadn't thought about before it it's i mean i and i i've heard you say this before it's like sometimes you look at your body of work and you say this is just one long song yeah. you know it's one long record that i've been making all these years it's just like trying to figure out wtf you yeah. know what what is what is it what what is this thing that we're involved in you know, what is this process? I hear that so much, man. I mean, you know, one of the things for me um, that I really wrestle with, mm -hmm. I actually, I don't wrestle with it, but it comes up a lot, is the sort of partisan thing of this aspect of the story versus that aspect of the story. You know, meaning like, oh, when are you going to do like fill in the blank again? Or when are you going to do something like that? When, I mean, I really have, have always had problems with that because to me, it's like you, that would be like, you know, trying to take a big chunk out of my body or something like that. It's sort of like they, they all go together as this one thing. And that's the hardest part to, uh, to, to sort of, um, negotiate in terms of the culture because, you know, well, yeah. You know, exactly. it's it's a thing where the this faction is going to be 
leaning towards that and this faction would lean towards that while actually if there is any message that i would want to offer through that evidence of whatever all that stuff adds up to be it's that no it it they are not separate from each other and um you know that that's that's a tougher one to negotiate within the context of you know the world that we've mostly found ourselves living in mm, across no. this amount of time but you know one thing i always do say and a lot, i say this to a lot of younger musicians now is that most of the people who are going to check all of our stuff out are not on the planet yet you know it's people who are yeah. going you know because we can all just you know, play the way we play. And it seems like, yeah, we can play like that. But in the future, people won't be able to play like that the same way. If you wanted to sound like Johnny Hodges, you couldn't. If I wanted to sound like Django Reinhardt, I couldn't because people walked and talked and did their lives in a certain way then. And we take it for granted that what we're doing right now, I mean, not to make any direct comparison in terms of level or anything like that, but in terms, in terms of culture, the way people are is the way we sound, you know, and that is something that will be appreciated like far in the distance in a way that it isn't now. And it's the same thing with like, you know, Charlie Parker. It's like, I remember Roy Haynes saying, you know, yeah, you know, when Charlie, Charlie Parker and him were playing on 52nd Street. He was like, oh, it's a drag, man. You, you know, everybody was talking. Art Tatum was playing intermission piano. You couldn't even hear him. It's so much better now, you know. And and he said, yeah, you know, Bird had like 5,000 fans back then. You know, now he's got 100 million fans, you know. Yeah. And most of us that are fans weren't on the planet at the same time he was. And, exactly. Uh, you know, it's a it's a thing so so i feel like what our job is is to just be honest and and tell our story do the best we can do with with the way we hear things and um and also you know think of it as one thing you know it's it's yeah. it's your story as a as a musician that you're trying to represent not even on the records just every time you pick up your horn yeah exactly and i i think you know i uh, a couple of things that what you just said brought to mind. You know, one thing is that all time periods, like 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever, going back in time, there's a certain rhythm to the times. There's a certain yep. kind of pulse that's, you know, a, a combination of the technology at the time, the, the way people talked, the way they lived, you know, how long it took to get from one place to another. All of that affects, you know, the way that we respond as especially as musicians and and the the music reflects the rhythm of the times and i remember dizzy gillespie once said he said you know the one of the real innovations that charlie parker brought was was the rhythm you know it's where he put stuff and how he played the way he played over a bar line the way that that revolutionized things that as much as what he played uh, you know, the notes and, and that. And I mean, and this goes for for music, for comedy, you know, it's timing. It's all of that. The, the music is a reflection or a comment on the times.
I, I heard you say one time about, you know, you you can, you know, be at one of your concerts and you can look at the front row and you can kind of say, all right, this guy was really into Bright Side's life. This guy was really into Song X. This person was really into something else and something else. And it's like they're all there kind of because they connect to a certain period of your music. And it can be disconcerting if you let it be disconcerting, or you can just try to, you know, bring it all together. And I think, I don't know if you uh, confront this at all, but, you know, the fact that you you have gone through all these, uh, uh, I don't even want to say metamorphosis, it's like it, like when you look at a crystal or a diamond and you just turn it a certain way. You're still looking at the crystal or the diamond, but you're looking at another aspect of it. So all these spots in, on, in your journey, your career, are different aspects of the same person and the same journey. And But then when you bring it down to a, you know, nuts and bolts, okay, I'm out here playing a concert and these people are coming here. I guess it's some, somehow about feeling an audience expectation. I think that your comment about the rhythm of a time is so important and something that is very difficult to quantify in a way. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, it's just unmistakable that that mm -hmm. um, as we move through, you know, the the different eras, you know, I mean, it's I, I've always felt almost like there was somewhere in like, I don't know, 1963 or something, the, the axis of the world rhythmically shift from triplets to duple you know it's like suddenly mm -hmm. eighth notes were different somewhere in there you know and yeah and stuff like that i mean but but especially the whole thing about where you put the the beat where you play within the frame of of time is so important it's so essential and to me that's the thing also when i think about master musicians regardless of what it is whether it's nirvana or you know the emerson string quartet or you or train or whatever it's the way people feel time and the way that they're able to express their version of time consistently and with a kind of mastery of of it that is what really identifies the story of a person and then there's kind of the micro time and there's the macro time too and the other factor in addition to the things that you were talking about that i think are are is a is maybe the 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 final element in in the the areas that you offered is the issue of technology it, you know there was a time when a drum set was a massive leap in technology I mean, you know, that changed everything <laughs> that somebody came up with the idea yeah. of like, a, you know, a hi-hat, you know, that changed everything. And, um, yeah. you know, all the way through, including the recording technology, the instrument technology, the read technology, everything, you know, all of that is, is part of this sort of flow that we, as the musicians inside that flow, have to negotiate in order to make our story have a kind of clarity and meaning uh, to us first, and then hopefully to somebody else. But 
um, to kind of skip ahead to the issue of, um, you know, the audience, so to speak, or the guys on the front row, this guy likes that, this guy likes that. The other one that for me is really interesting, having been around for a while, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, because you've, you and I have had very similar length uh, careers out, out there doing it, is that mm -hmm. when somebody writes you or, or whatever and starts talking about what their favorite thing of yours is, you can yeah. pr almost precisely to the year gauge how old they are. And I find that all the time. <laughs> the tell is always which record was current at that at the point that that person joined the the cause, so to speak. And that's yeah. how old that person is usually. So, mm -hmm. you know, but I had a funny thing recently um, because, you know, I mean, there there was a lot of activity, you know, in, in the 70s for me, then in the 80s and in the 90s. And, you know, it's been pretty consistent right from, from the start. Um, but I did have a funny thing recently, which was I had a young person come up to me and say, you know, when are you going to do something really creative again? You know, kind of like orchestrion, <laughs> which to me is like not that long ago, but this person was probably 20 and that was their first yeah. record. And, you know, I don't necessarily think of that being more or less creative than this, that, or the other thing, but, you know, you can kind of tell when people entered the stream, you know, from, from which yeah. record was current at that point. Now, the other yeah. thing for me is, um, you know, the, the different ways that people respond to the same thing is also uh, interesting. Mm. But honestly, this is the, the X factor for me. Um, maybe to my credit, maybe to my detriment, I don't really care that much about what anybody thinks. I never have. Yes including in junior high. It's like, I just, I've never felt aligned. I've never wanted to be aligned. I just mm -hmm. have always felt like I just want to kind of understand. That's my, my only thing. Mm. I just want to understand it. I want to know why when I heard four and more, I was like, what is that? And I want to understand what that is. And that's it. You know, anything other than that, is so off the grid, unexpected for me. I never, I never thought about anything other than just like, I want to know how to, how this works. And, you know, really the music that I've tried to represent in, you know, across all this time has been just, you know, kind of that attempt to understand and um, mm. how anybody processes it or thinks about it or whatever, you know, First of all, there's nothing I can do about that anyway. And um, the other part of it for me is the thing of not really caring what anybody thinks has kind of worked for me, to tell you the truth. If I'm going to go there, is that it seems like people expect me to just do whatever I'm going to do. And somehow I still get gigs and I get to continue the research, which to me is going out and playing and getting to work on stuff. So... You know, whatever that all adds up to be, then, you know, that's where I'm at. Well, I, I mean, I think to me, 
when you talked about, you know, from junior high on, I mean, I think that belies a certain confidence. You know, I mean, you, maybe you didn't see it like that at the time, but that, that idea of I don't really give a shit what other people think, this is way more interesting, you know? And I mean, I, you know, because it's you and you have that outlook, you don't see how that's not usual. I, I certainly can't say that I felt that level of confidence and that level of commitment because I... I think that a lot of people, myself included, would always look around for approval. And there's a lot of reasons for that, the way the way you came up, the way, you know, this or that, or who. at the end of the day, it only matters that that's who you are. And that, that allowed you to move forward in a way that was in, in one sense, kind of iconoclastic in the sense that you kind of did whatever it was that interested you. And the fact that you you know, connected with jazz, which is this, it, it's like this wonderland of like, not sit, situations to understand. There's the language to learn, the language of bebop, the, the vocabulary, the different ways you put things together, the different ways you place what you're doing in the context of the rhythm of the flow, how you think about time. Because I mean, there's the, some records that that you made and some music that you played that doesn't seem to, that that is, you know, for want of a better word, people describe as free, and it's never free, really. Certainly not. I don't see that in your case where you just don't, you don't, you don't have a sense of how things are moving through time. But like, there are certain songs on on song X like endangered species, which is hilarious in one way. And I don't mean that in any kind of a demeaning sense, but it just makes me, it's laughing out of joy that there's this sense of joy that I always felt when I first heard that record, I thought, this is just, this makes me smile, this record. And, you know, and the, like the first time I heard Ornette, it was like, it was like country music. You know, but it was like, oh man, yeah. this just makes me feel so good about my day. Yeah. And I mean, you know, uh, uh, endangered species, the mob job. Uh, and what's that song? Uh, it's like a folk song, Kathleen Gray. I don't know the, the origin of that song. Is that a traditional song or is that? No, it was, you know, that was one of the tunes where you know ornette was it's it, it was so interesting to to of course be around him and and you know yeah. having listened to his music so much you know i had a sense of of a lot of things about it but to really kind of check out how he wrote stuff where where he you know how, how he designated to put it on a page you know um mm -hmm. was especially um enlightening and that was one where he had this melody and then i was like well i'm going to put some changes to it so that you know mm -hmm. charlie and i can play like actual you know like kind of more straight ahead with it and um mm -hmm. you know but the thing is he 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 would not necessarily do it the same way twice because he would just mm -hmm. write the pitches he didn't write any rhythms 
So it was just, mm. you get a lead sheet and it would just be a bunch of like, you know, whole notes basically. And, mm. uh, you know, so to sort of like, you know, kind of understand that the flexibility in that too. And then of course, how that then applies to the way you improvise on, on pieces. I mean, it was all just mm -hmm. actually the, the operative word I would use is the same one you use is that it was incredibly fun. It was just such a yeah. happy experience. I think for all of us, it was just the tour too, was just so much fun. We had such a blast and um, mm. it was just, you know, so, so special in a lot of ways for, for, for me again, of course, as a heroic figure and a musician that was just you know, somebody that I couldn't put in on a higher level. But then we became really good friends and I just loved mm -hmm. hanging with him. You know, we had a, we had a yeah. great time together. On the next episode of As We Speak, I continue my conversation with Pat Matheny. This has been As We Speak, a podcast from WBGO Studios. This episode was produced by Trevor Smith, Billy Robinson is our executive producer, and the president and CEO of WBGO is Stephen A. Williams. I'm David Sanborn.